Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the blonde bombshell next to me is Ellen. It's true what they say. Blondes and redheads really do have more fun. Mm-hmm. We are the now, not really new, but quite possibly improved podcast hosts. I like to think so. Yeah. But enough <laughs> about us. Mm-hmm. Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 12, the Triwizard Tournament and the corresponding film scenes. Dumbledore tried to express how dangerous the Triwizard Tournament really is, but as teenagers are wont to think themselves immortal, it's pretty safe to say no one was all that worried. While the book gave the students time to prepare for the arrival of the other schools, the movie just ripped the band-aid off and gave them all some new house guests right then and there. The students of the suddenly all-girls school, Bobatons, sauntered through the Great Hall while lactating butterflies while the randomly all-boys school, Durmstrang, made their grand entrance by banging sticks on the ground and showing off what manly men they are. Ron almost had a heart attack when he realized the life-sized version of his Victor Crumb figure is part of the Durmstrang brood. Mad-Eye Moody celebrated entering a school full of minors by taking a long swig of his fun flask and sniffing his sausages. Mr. Crouch, a.k.a. Captain Buzzkill, announced that only the oldest students will be able to risk their lives for a large cup and absolutely no cash whatsoever, understandably upsetting some younger students. And for once, the movie editors made the absolute right call and cutting out the Hogwarts school song sing-along. During episode 76, Harry Potter and the Missed Opportunity, our Potter pondering was, what are your thoughts on the lightning striking as Mad-Eye Moody enters the Great Hall? Max thinks it was a fitting welcome back from the school for one of its best students ever. Lisolata said she's not entirely sure. She almost feels like Hogwarts knew that Mad-Eye wasn't actually Mad-Eye, but a fraud, and that the lightning was a reaction to this. But then again, shouldn't Dumbledore or any of the other professors know this? Mm. Quincy really thinks it was weird. Simply because of the fact that they cut so much shit and changed so much canon that literally these motherfuckers said one plus one equals fish. Like, come the fuck on. I hate when directors do shit just because it'll look cool. And while we're on it, who the fuck does Michael Gambon think he's yelling at? Dumbledore is so powerful and radiant that all he has to do is raise a fucking hand, and these kids know to shut their fucking spell traps. <laughs> I so want to use that now. Shut your spell trap. You shut your spell trap. <laughs> of course, he would have known that if he would have just read the fucking book. And what was that weird shit they had Crouch doing with his hands? Anyone? Does anyone know? One of them has the tongue thing, the other one has the hand thing, and it's just weird and makes me uncomfortable. Newell! That was an excellent rant, Quincy. Yes. I love you. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller. <laughs> Dave says that he thinks the lightning was caused by an electrical charge imbalance between the sky and the ground. Which is very literal, Dave. Thank you for that. 
science. <laughs> Not magic. Juliana said that in the book, Moody's entrance and physical appearance was so jarring, and the hip flask was a bigger deal in the book. She thinks that the overdramatized lightning entrance in the movie served as a cool entrance and to tell movie-only goers that he was important and allude to him possibly being evil. Emma said she always wondered if it was a warning system Dumbledore had built into the enchantment, which kind of goes along with what Lisa Lotta was saying. It does. Yeah. Thank you all so much for your responses. These were really good replies. Our trivia question was, what did they call Mr. Weasley in the Daily Prophet article that Malfoy reads out loud? The article misnamed Mr. Weasley as Arnold Weasley, as Nazi von Douchebag II was happy to point out. Congratulations goes to both Mike Riley and Max Nash as they again tied for the win. This puts Mike at a five-week streak. It also led to a fantastic conversation between the two of them about how they must just talk nonstop about the Weasleys at Malfoy Manor, since Draco knew Mr. Weasley's actual name. Mike called it the classic case of little boy pulling little girl's hair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Max said that he likes to imagine that Lucius got rejected by Arthur at Hogwarts. <laughs> this prompted Mike to ask if you can imagine Lucius and Molly fighting over Arthur, and I kind of love it. It made me think that maybe Lucius was interested in Molly, and that's the basis for their rivalry. I like it better that he wanted Arthur, yeah. but either way, you know what? He wanted him some Weasley. That's what he wanted. I think so. <laughs> he loves him some gingers. Want to make little pink-haired babies. Red and I, white. Uh, oh, I know. <laughs> Pink. I got it. <laughs> More like peach. Strawberry blonde. Nah. I like pink. But anyways, congratulations, Mike and Max. We are looking forward to seeing who answers first next week. For now, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 13, Mad-Eye Moody, and the not even remotely corresponding film scene. Chapter 13, Mad-Eye Moody. The next morning, the storm finally stopped, though the sky was still gloomy on the enchanted ceiling in the Great Hall. Harry, Ron, and Hermione look over their schedules while Fred, George, and Lee Jordan discuss ways to magically age themselves. Ron declares their schedule to be not too bad, as they are outside all morning with Herbology and care of magical creatures, though he is disappointed they are with the Slytherins. Harry groans when he realizes they have double divination that afternoon, and Hermione tells them that they should have given it up, then they could be doing something sensible like arithmancy. Ron comments that Hermione is eating again, and she says that she's decided there are better ways to make a stand about elf rights. Ron grins and points out that she was hungry, too. A rustling above them announces the arrival of the mail, and Harry looks up, disappointed to not see Hedwig. He watches an owl deliver a parcel to Neville and worries that something happened to Hedwig. This keeps him preoccupied all the way to the greenhouses, but then he's distracted by Professor Sprout's lesson about some really ugly plants that are called boobotubers. They have to wear dragonhide gloves to squeeze and collect the pus from them, which was disgusting, but oddly satisfying. Professor Sprout is happy with the several pints they collected from Madame Pomfrey, as it makes an excellent remedy for stubborn acne and should stop students from resorting to desperate measures, like Eloise Midgen, who tried to curse hers off and had to have her nose fixed back on. After Herbology, they all head to care of magical creatures, where they are greeted by Hagrid, who excitedly points out crates filled with creatures that look like six-inch long, deformed, shell-less lobsters. 
Hagrid says they are blast-ended scroots that just hatched, so they will be making a project out of raising them. The Slytherins arrive at this point, and Malfoy wants to know why they would want to raise them, though Hagrid did not yet seem to have an answer for him and says that's for next lesson. Instead, they spend the class trying to feed them, and Harry suspects this is pretty pointless because the scroots don't seem to have mouths. After about 10 minutes, Dean yells that one of them got him, and he shows Hagrid a burn on his hand. Lavender points out a pointy thing, which Hagrid says is a sting, which he thinks the males have. He says the females seem to have a sucker on their belly for sucking blood, and Malfoy sarcastically says he can see why they would want to keep them alive. Hermione snaps that they could still be useful, like how dragon blood is magical, but you wouldn't want a dragon as a pet. At lunch, Hermione begins to wolf her food down so she can get to the library, even though they don't have homework yet. She finishes, leaps up, and runs off, telling Harry and Ron she will see them at dinner. After lunch, the boys head off to divination, where Professor Trelawney welcomes them with a mysterious comment about how Harry seems preoccupied and his worries are not baseless, as the thing he dreads will soon come to pass. Ron rolls his eyes at Harry, and Trelawney goes on to address the rest of the class, announcing that it's time for them to consider the stars. Harry's thoughts drift off to his fears that Sirius had been caught, but he ultimately concludes that Hermione is right and Trelawney is an old fraud, aside from that one real prediction. He's abruptly jolted out of his reverie when Ron mutters his name to get his attention. Trelawney had just stated that based on his dark hair, mean stature, and tragic losses so young in life, he was clearly born in midwinter. Harry informs her that he was born in July, and Ron turns his laugh into a cough. They spend the rest of class completing a complicated planet chart and joke about what the location of the planets mean. When Lavender asks about a planet on her chart, Trelawney tells her that it's Uranus, and Ron asks if he can have a look at Uranus too. This could be why Trelawney gave them a ton of homework, which they are complaining about as they head down to dinner, where they meet up with Hermione who brags that Professor Vector didn't give them any homework at all. While waiting to get into the Great Hall for dinner, they hear Malfoy call out Weasley's name and turn to see him, Crabbe and Goyle, looking pleased about something. Malfoy reads out an article from the Daily Prophet titled Further Mistakes at the Ministry and takes great pleasure in the fact that they misnamed Ron's dad as Arnold Weasley, as the article also rehashed his fine with the flying car and his involvement with helping Mad-Eye Moody in a tussle with the muggle policeman. The article also includes a picture of Mr. and Mrs. Weasley outside their house, which Malfoy also makes fun of, as well as commenting that Ron's mom could do with some weight loss. Harry and Hermione hold Ron back as Harry comments on the expression on Malfoy's mom's face, wondering if she always looks like she's got dung under her nose or if that was just because Draco was with her. He tells Draco to keep his mouth shut and turns to walk away. With a bang, Harry feels something graze the side of his face and reaches for his wand. But before he can do anything, he hears a second bang and a voice call out, Oh, no, you don't, laddie. Harry turns to see Professor Moody limping down the marble staircase, pointing his wand at a white ferret right where Malfoy had been standing. He checks on Harry and then yells, Leave it! to Crab, who's about to pick up the ferret. Moody starts limping towards Crab Goyle and the ferret, which squeaks and starts to take off. Pointing his wand again, Moody sends the ferret flying up in the air multiple times as he growls that he doesn't like it when people attack their opponent's back. 
He continues to admonish the ferret as it bounces up and down until Professor McGonagall shows up and realizes that the ferret is actually a student. She pulls out her own wand and turns the ferret back into Draco Malfoy before reminding Moody that they never use transfiguration as a punishment. They give detentions or speak to the offender's head of house. Moody says he will do that as Malfoy mutters something about his father. Moody lets him know that he knows his father and he can tell him that Moody is keeping a close eye on his son. He mentions that his head of house, Snape, is another old friend and he's been looking forward to a chat with him. He seizes Malfoy's arm and the two head off towards the dungeons. Ron tells the others not to talk to him so he can fix that forever in his memory and they all laugh. Hermione then mentions that he really could have hurt Malfoy, so it's good McGonagall stopped him, and Ron tells her to stop ruining the best moment of his life. Hermione makes an impatient noise and then again begins to shovel her food in at top speed so she can get back to the library. As soon as she leaves, her seat is taken by Fred, who starts talking about how cool Moody is. They had him that afternoon and say that they have never had a lesson like it. He really knows what it's like to be out there, fighting the dark arts, and he's seen it all. Ron checks his schedule and is disappointed to realize they won't have him until Thursday. This section of the movie starts out on a wide shot of Hogwarts Castle from the perspective of the Durmstrang ship at night. It cuts to a view of the Goblet of Fire through a partially open door in the empty Great Hall. A man wearing a number of silver rings pushes the door open and turns to reveal that he is Igor Karkaroff. He looks around before closing the doors behind him, and the scene ends on the closed doors. So, there really isn't anything to compare and contrast here, since literally nothing that happened in Chapter 13 was in the movie, at least during this part. Yeah, the whole ferret thing happens later in the movie, which... We'll get there. We'll get there. Be patient. The movie did include a scene that wasn't in the book, shocker. So we will be talking about that scene later on in this episode as well, after we discuss the chapter. Which starts out letting us know that the storm has blown over by the following morning, but the enchanted ceiling in the Great Hall still shows dreary gray skies as Harry, Ron, and Hermione look over their new course schedules at breakfast. Fred, George, and Lee Jordan are a few seats away, plotting ways they can magically age themselves to enter into the Triwizard Tournament. Ron says their schedules aren't too bad since they're outside all morning, but swears when he sees that they have care of magical creatures with the Slytherins. Just seems to be the thing for him. I am the Ron, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, awkward. Harry groans when he sees he has double divination that afternoon. After potions with Professor Snape, divination is Harry's least favorite subject since Professor Trelawney is always predicting his death. I mean, chances are at some point she'll be right. I mean, that could be true for anybody, though. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's why it was funny. <laughs> yeah. Was it, though? <laughs> we laughed, didn't we? Okay. <laughs> Hermione remarks that he should have dropped divination like she had and taken something useful, like arithmancy, as she butters her toast. Yeah, no. <laughs> I know, right? No. Ron notices that she's eating again, and she says that there are better ways to take a stand for elf rights. <laughs> and, you know, because she's hungry. Oh, yeah. That wasn't going to last long. Right? <laughs> All of a sudden, a hundred owls come flying into the Great Hall, bringing in the morning post. Harry looks up but doesn't see Hedwig among the other owls and tries to ignore his disappointment. He begins to worry that something had happened to Hedwig and that Sirius had never gotten his letter. 
And this worry follows him through the morning until the lesson Professor Sprout has for them pulls him from his thoughts. Yeah, because she has these large plants that look like giant slugs squirming in the soil, each covered in shiny, swollen spots that look filled with liquid. Ew. She tells the students that they are booboo-tubers and that they will be squeezing them and collecting their very valuable pus in bottles. That's what everyone wants to hear after breakfast. Uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gross. I mean, it's disgusting, but satisfying work. Popping the swellings and catching the liquid. And this is just really even gross to say. I'm not going to lie. Ew. (laughs) But by the end of class, they had collected several pints, which is even grosser. Right? (laughs) Though I love the parallel to popping zits here. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially since Professor Sprout says that it's an excellent remedy for stubborn acne. And Madame Pomfrey will be happy to have it for students who may try desperate measures to remove their pimples. Hannah Abbott, the Hufflepuff, says that a girl named Eloise Midgen had tried to curse hers off. And Professor Sprout said she is a silly girl and remarks that Madame Pomfrey was able to put her nose back on in the end. So I wonder if that's at all something that we're going to hear about again for it to be mentioned here now. What? I? They never do that. What? A bell signals the end of the lesson and the Gryffindors and Hufflepuffs set off in different directions. The Gryffindors head to care of magical creatures, and Hagrid's waiting outside his cabin with Fang very interested in the several open crates on the ground around them. There's a rattling noise, followed by the sounds of tiny explosions coming from the boxes. That's never a good sign when it's Hagrid. it's never a good sign I mean, it's never a good sign, period, but when it's in front of Hagrid? Doubly mm. so when it's Hagrid. He greets them warmly and says that they have to wait for the Slytherins to arrive because they aren't going to want to miss the blast-ended scroots pointing at the crates. Aren't they, though? Uh, I think I think they could do with missing them. Yeah. I, I think they, they'd be okay with that. Lavender Brown jumps and makes a disgusted noise when she looks inside, and Harry agrees that the noise she made pretty much sums up the creatures. <laughs> <laughs> I think this would have been fun to include. Like, one of the things that I love about... Fantastic Beasts is getting to see all of the creatures. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we got bilked of a lot of the magical creatures in the movies. Oh, we definitely did. So I think it would have been fun to see the blast-ended Scroots. Yeah. Although I'm kind of glad we didn't see the Boobatubers. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Those can stay the fuck away. Although it might end up being like, have you ever watched the Dr. Pimple Popper videos? (laughs) Yeah, I I don't like those either. (laughs) I feel like there'd be some people who would just like want to sit there and watch. Oh, yeah. And that's not me. That's not you. <laughs> no. But the blast-ended scroots apparently look like shellless lobsters. They are slimy and pale. And they have legs in odd places and no visible heads. There's about a hundred in each crate crawling over one another, and they smell like rotting fish. So these just keep sounding more and more whatever noise lavender made. I'm going to go with, Ew! Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> then every few minutes, they hear a small... <laughs> sound accompanied by sparks coming from one end of a scroot propelling it forward. Hagrid says they have just been hatched and that they're going to make a project of raising the scroots themselves. Crab and Goyle laugh as Draco's cold voice comes from behind them asking why they would even want to raise them. Hagrid looks stumped and tells them that that's the next lesson and they will only be feeding them today. He says he's not quite sure what they eat but he has a few things for them to try. Seamus mutters, first pus, now this. (laughs) 
Harry, Ron, and Hermione get handfuls of frog livers to try and feed the scroots, and Harry suspects it might all be pointless because he doesn't think they have mouths. A few minutes later, Dean Thomas says one got him and shows Hagrid his burned hand. Hagrid says that can happen, and Lavender makes another disgusted noise asking what the pointy thing on one is. Yeah, what's this pointy thing? Yeah. Hagrid says that some have stings and are probably the males, and the others have suckers on their bellies. Maybe to suck blood. Because, yay! Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't honestly blame Draco here. With his comment about what great pets they are being able to burn, sting, and bite all at once. I mean, survival of the fittest. Yep. They can't eat, but they can do all that other shit. Hermione says they may not be pretty, but they could be useful. Dragon's blood is useful, but you wouldn't want a dragon for a pet. <laughs> Harry and Ron share a grin with Hagrid, who they know would like nothing more than a pet dragon, like the Norwegian Ridgeback Norbert that he had briefly owned when they were first years. Aw, memories. Memories. Back when the movies lined up so much closer to the books. <laughs> <laughs> when there really wasn't such thing of a no corresponding film scenes at all. Exactly. <laughs> On their way back to the castle, Harry, Ron, and Hermione talk about the Scroots. Hermione is worried that they will grow to be huge once Hagrid learns what they eat, and Ron grins at her and says that if they cure something, it won't matter. She tells him that she had only said what she said to shut Malfoy up, and that she thinks that they should stamp out the whole lot of them before they can start attacking anyone. Probably wise. Probably. They sound really unpleasant. Yeah, I'm not a fan. But it still would have been fun to see. True. It would have been nice to actually get a visual. Right? Yeah. Like, I have a pretty good mental picture from the description, mm -hmm. but it's not the same as seeing it. Yeah. In my head, it's a little bit like one of those caterpillars that has all the bumps on it that look like legs so that it fools other <laughs> creatures and stuff. And of course, more bitey and more fiery. Right. So. With stings and, and suckers. Yeah, definitely. And spark farts. Can't forget stings and suckers and spark farts. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, indeed. <laughs> Episode title. Anyways, <laughs> when they reach the Great Hall, Hermione begins eating very quickly, which makes Harry and Ron just stare at her. Ron asks if making herself sick is a new elf right stand, but she just says she wants to get to the library. Seriously, I wish we would have gotten more of Ron's sarcasm. I know. Movies. Like, not only do they make him an idiot, they don't give him the biting wit that he has in the books. It's just sad. Is making yourself sick your new stand? <laughs> it's great. And Rupert Grint would have nailed it, Oh, too. my gosh. He would Absolutely. have killed the sarcasm. Love it. We got built. No. No, that's another all of the directors lined up in a row. All the directors lined up in a row. Columbus, Curon, Newell, Yates! Damn you all! <laughs> Except for Curon, you're not as fully damned. Yeah. Or Columbus, because you actually stayed pretty true to the books. We actually kind of like you guys, but still. Arr. Especially the last two. Arr. Newell and Yates, there are things we like about you, but... <laughs> not as many. Not let's as many. Let's be honest. Sorry. Anywho. Anyways. Ron says... It's only the first day back, and she shrugs, saying she'll see them at dinner before she rushes off. Another bell rings, and Harry and Ron make their way to the North Tower for divination. The room is the same as before, perfumed, stuffy, and dimly lit, and Harry and Ron sit back down at the same table. 
Professor Trelawney's voice comes from right behind Harry, startling him. She's dressed the same with the same grim look on her face that she always gets when she sees Harry, telling him that he has troubled times ahead, and the thing he dreads may soon come to pass. Ominous. Dun dun dun! She sweeps past them to sit in a large winged armchair, Lavender Brown and Parvati Patel sitting on poofs very close to her. And I love how they fangirl over Trelawney. Mm-hmm. They're so cringy, but at the same time, I kind of love it. Mm-hmm. They gave us a glimpse of that, mm-hmm. I think, in the movies. A glimpse. It's not it's, present. Yeah, it's not much at all. But, you know, better than nothing, I guess. Professor Trelawney begins talking about the stars in the skies and those who understand the celestial dance. And Harry's mind wanders off again, because why wouldn't it? Yeah. He doesn't take Trelawney very seriously, but he can't help thinking about what she had just said about the thing that he dreads coming to pass. He also begins to think Hermione is right, that the professor is just an old fraud, because he isn't dreading anything. Except maybe his worries that Sirius may have been caught, but he decides that Professor Trelawney is just good at guessing and has a spooky demeanor. Which... Facts. Not wrong, yeah. Plus, there was the prediction that she had made about Voldemort returning to power, and that Dumbledore said that the trance he had described seemed genuine. So there is that, I guess. I can see there being enough there to give him some doubts. Yeah. Give him some pause. Harry is dozing off, as we anticipated mm-hmm. and understand. Yes. And Ron snaps his attention back to what Professor Trelawney was saying about Harry being born under the baleful influence of Saturn. He asks what she's talking about, and she said that because of his dark hair and tragic losses so young in life, he clearly was born in midwinter. Harry tells her he was born in July, and Ron has to turn his laugh into a cough. I bet it wasn't convincing either. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Yeah, something like that. The rest of the class, the students try to fill out the planetary charts from their time of birth, and Harry says that he has two Neptunes. Ron mimics Professor Trelawney and says when there are two Neptunes, it means a midget in glasses is being born. Because Ron is awesome at sarcasm. Right. Harry is sassy, Ron is sarcastic. Harry is sassy, Ron is sarcassy. <laughs> <laughs> Seamus and Dean laugh at this. Ron's comment, not mine. (laughs) But they all hear Lavender Brown asking what her unexpected planet is, and Professor Trelawney tells her it's Uranus. Ron says, can I have a look at Uranus too, Lavender? Oh, Ron, you sarcastic little bitch. This is why we love you. I am so mad we did not get this scene. Honest to God. For a movie that was trying to make itself a comedy, how are you going to leave out a Uranus joke? I know. I know they barely ever showed other classes at all, but it would have been so fun. Not to mention, I in general would have loved to see more magical lessons. Mm-hmm. Right? Even if it is divination. <laughs> Still would have been nice. Well, that wasn't about the divination. That was about Ron's sarcasm. Well, yeah, Ron Sarcassi. <laughs> Okay, I may hate that now. All right. <laughs> oh, you hated it the first time. I it was did, just... <laughs> but I was trying to be nice. <laughs> the rhyme made it funny. It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ron thinks that the heavy homework load they receive is because Professor Trelawney overheard his butt joke. <laughs> On the way to the Great Hall, he's complaining about how it's going to take him all weekend to finish it. Hermione catches up and tells them that Professor Vector hadn't given them any homework. Well, bully for Professor Vector. Rub it in, why don't you? Damn, Hermione. Oh, she did. <laughs> While they're waiting in line, Nazi von Duschbag II calls for Ron's attention until he, Harry, and Hermione turn around. He waves a copy of the Daily Prophet and says, Ron's dad's in the paper. Loudly, he begins to read the article titled, Further Mistakes at the Ministry. So it's another positive Rita Skeeter piece. Mm-hmm. Well, she doesn't write anything else. We right? know that much. She brings up the World Cup before saying the Ministry still can't locate one of their witches and that Arnold Weasley had caused the Ministry new embarrassment. Draco remarks on the incorrect name, saying it's almost like he's a non-entity. Which was our trivia question. Yup. <laughs> And I love all of Mike and Max's speculation about how the Malfoys must talk about the Weasleys since Nazi Von Douchebag II seems to know Mr. Weasley's actual name to know that the prophet got it wrong. I know. It makes such a good point. <laughs> I never thought about that before, so that's pretty fantastic. Mm -hmm. By now, everyone in the entrance hall is listening, and Von Douche continues reading. It goes on to say that Weasley had gotten involved in a tussle with muggle lawkeepers when he went to the aid of Mad-Eye Moody, the paranoid ex-Auror. Mr. Moody had raised a false alarm and Mr. Weasley had to modify several memories before he got away, but refused to answer Daily Prophet questions about this embarrassing scene. Malfoy said there's a picture and mocks Ron's house before saying Mrs. Weasley could do with some weight loss. And Malfoy could do with my fist in his mouth. That was graphic, I'm sorry. But kind of earned, so... Okay. Be I stand graphic. by it then. Yeah, cool. stand by it. Everyone's watching Ron, who's shaking with anger now, and Harry tells Malfoy to get stuffed before Nazi von Douchebag II asks him if she's really that porky or if it's just the picture. Draco can fuck right off, man. So shitty. Oh, little punk ass bitch but at least we get an appearance from sassy harry in response yeah yeah that's always fun he asks malfoy if the expression on his mom's face you know the one that looks like she has dung under her nose has always looked like that or was it just because he was with her oh burn suck it draco draco tells him not to insult his mother so harry tells him to keep his mouth shut basically you don't be a shit I won't be a shit. I'm so amazed at people who, like, make comments about someone else's mother. And then gets upset when you retaliate? Yeah. What is that? I can't understand that at all. That's so irritating. I, I literally, if I do something to wrong you, and you retaliate, I feel like I earned it. Yeah. I don't know about earned it. Maybe deserved it. <laughs> Honestly, you might not like it, but, like, you can't turn around and be like, don't talk about my mother. Right. Like, you literally just called Ron's mom fat. Yeah. <laughs> Twice. Yeah. And you're going to get mad because Harry says she has a gross look on her face? Like, yeah. he wasn't even insulting her, just her expression. Mm-hmm. So, exactly. That wasn't even that bad. It was sassy. It was and sassy. I loved it. But I feel like Draco got off late. And the most important part of all of this, we did not get to see it in the movie, so that can just fuck right off. Right? <laughs> we did need more sassy Harry. Mm-hmm. Harry drops his mic, turns away from Draco, <laughs> and all of a sudden there's a loud bang causing several students to scream. 
He reaches for his wand as he feels something white-hot graze his face. Before he can grab his wand, there's a second loud bang, followed by a roar that echoed in the entrance hall. Suddenly behind him, they hear a loud voice booming, Oh no you don't, laddie! Professor Mooney is limping down the stairs, pointing his wand right at a pure white ferret on the floor, exactly where Malfoy had been standing. Whatever could have happened? What is going on here? Everyone in the entrance hall is silent and frozen. I didn't think ferrets were on the approved pet list. I mean, neither are rats, so. Point. And men. (laughs) A man! A man! (laughs) Anyway, Moody's the only person moving. He looks at Harry with his normal eye, with his magical eye, pointing into the back of his head, and asks Harry if Draco got him. Harry tells him he missed, and Moody shouts, leave it, confusing Harry, who asks, leave what? And Moody says he was talking to Crab, who's frozen halfway to picking up the ferret from the ground. <laughs> Can you just... <laughs> I know we see this later, mm. but it's not quite the same. And I just... It's not as good. I don't think it is either. No. But we'll talk about that when we get there. <sighs> this makes Harry realize that his eye can see out of the back of his head, though, which is kind of crazy. Well, yeah. Moody starts towards Crab, Goyle, and the ferret, which squeaks and tries to run towards the dungeons. He roars and points his wand at the ferret again, bouncing it in the air and on the ground, and back up again. As he continues doing this, Moody says he doesn't like it when someone attacks their opponent's back, and that is a stinking, cowardly, scummy thing to do. He punctuates each following bounce, saying, Never. Do. That. Again. But is cut off when Professor McGonagall shouts his name. (laughs) She rushes down the stairs towards them with her arms full of books. Moody calmly greets her while continuing to bounce the ferret in the air, and she asks him what he's doing, staring at the ferret. Moody tells her that he's teaching. (laughs) And when she shrieks, dropping her books, and asks if the ferret, is that a student? (laughs) He merely replies with a yup. Professor McGonagall cries no and pulls out her wand. A moment later, Draco reappears in a heap on the floor and winces as he stands up. (laughs) oh i love this scene so much professor mcgonagall tells moody that transfiguration is never used as a punishment and dumbledore surely told him that moody says he may have mentioned it but that a good sharp shock he is interrupted by professor mcgonagall saying that they give detention or speak to the student's head of house but that's less fun right moody looks at malfoy with distaste and says that's what he'll do Malfoy looks back at him with eyes watering from pain and humiliation and mutters something about his father, my father. Moody tells Draco that he knows his father and that he wants Draco to tell him that he's got a close eye on his son. He double checks that Snape is his head of house before grabbing Malfoy by his upper arm and marching him off towards the dungeons. Yeah, now like we said before, this scene does happen in the movie. But it's later on and set up a little bit differently. So we'll talk more about it when we get to that part of the movie. Yeah, we'll make references back to this then as well and do our compare and contrast then because it's still great, but it's not as good as this. This was just... (laughs) Definite chef's kiss. Definite. 
<laughs> in the book, Ron tells Harry and Hermione not to talk to him when they sit down to dinner. And when Hermione asks why not, he says that he wants to make sure the image of the bouncing ferret Malfoy stays in his memory forever. And I can't blame him. Right? Come on, Draco Malfoy, the amazing bouncing ferret? How does it get any better? It does not. Exactly. Harry and Hermione laugh, but then Hermione says that Draco could have been hurt. Well, huh. I don't really think she cares. She is very compassionate. So I think she doesn't want somebody to get hurt unless she's the one slapping them. <laughs> I was going to say, this from the girl who has lit professor's clothes on fire and <laughs> punched other students in the face. Or slapped. Or slapped. Either way. But Ron tells her that she's ruining the best moment of his life. <laughs> Really says something about his life. Yeah. <laughs> and Hermione again begins to eat her dinner as fast as she possibly can. Harry asks if she's going to go back to the library, and she tells him that she has a lot of work to do. He doesn't understand how, because she said she hadn't gotten any homework from Professor Vector, but she tells him that it isn't schoolwork and then rushes off. No need to be vague or anything, Hermione. <laughs> or every need. <laughs> I'm just saying, she was super vague in the last book, and that didn't actually work out that well for her. It kind of made the entire story, though. Well, yeah, that is true. So, at least she's not gaslighting Ron over this one. True. That is very true. They okay. did choose to leave that part out of the movie. I'll, I'll <laughs> give you that. <laughs> A moment later, Fred, George, and Lee Jordan sit down with them and begin talking about how cool Moody is. They tell Ron and Harry that they had him for class earlier that day, and it was like no other lesson they had ever had before. The three older boys share a knowing look and tell Ron and Harry that Moody knows what it's like to be out fighting the dark arts. Like he's been there, man. You he's know what I'm saying? Been there. He's really gone through it, guys. <laughs> George says Moody has seen it all, and Lee says it's amazing. I'm pretty sure he just says amazing. No, the maze is at the end of the book. Don't spoil it. Oh, shit. Sorry. Save that for the end of the book. We'll get there. <laughs> like next year. Right? Ron pulls out his schedule and is disappointed to see that they don't have class with him until Thursday. And this is where the book chapter ends. But we also want to talk about the scene that they included in the movie that wasn't in the book. Because why wouldn't we want to take the opportunity to bitch about something they did wrong? Or is it something that they did right? Ooh. Let's keep talking and find out. Yes, let's. <laughs> Having obviously never read the book himself, Karkaroff starts feeling a bit peckish and nips down to the Great Hall to see if there are any leftovers from dinner. Obviously that's why he's down there. He has no nefarious plans at all. We always trust the heavily accented Eastern European man in British films, right? Oh, always. But if he wanted a snack, he should have been tickling the pear. What's the Great Hall gonna get him in the middle of the night? Well, he doesn't know that. Didn't he go to Hogwarts? I don't think he did. He called it dear old Hogwarts, so I always assumed that he had. I mean, I thought he went to Durmstrang. It's not like you have to go to a school to become headmaster there. Well, no, but... We don't know much about his past. I just figured that since he'd definitely been to Hogwarts before, and it wouldn't have been for the Triwizard Tournament previously, he must have actually gone there. I mean, I just figured based on his name and the accent that Durmstrang was the closest school to him, so that's where he went. It's not that he couldn't have gone to Hogwarts. I just didn't ever really think about it, I guess. Maybe he had been to Hogwarts before on, like, business or something. Like, when he first became headmaster, maybe he had to go and see all the other schools or something. Could be. I haven't 
been able to find out a definite answer. Like, I actually looked into this because it was kind of driving me nuts. <laughs> Harry Potter Wiki says that he was possibly a Durmstrang student, but nowhere else does it mention it. See, I looked into it too, and Harry Potter Wiki also says he was possibly a Hogwarts student. Oh, Lord. <laughs> we could always just pick one and declare it with confidence. Oh, good idea. So definitely Hogwarts. <sighs> How about we just compromise and combine the names? Okay. Hogstrange. We are not good at this. We're really not. But it would make a good Potter pondering. Works for me. I also came across a theory on why Igor Karkaroff entered the Great Hall. Someone on StackExchange.com said... There has also been online speculation, and my own personal opinion, that it was actually Barty Crouch Jr. using his polyjuice potion this time for Karkaroff instead of Moody. Thus, even if he was noticed slipping into the Great Hall that night, it would be Karkaroff who would get the suspicion rather than, quote-unquote, Moody. Since Barty Jr. would not want a whole lot of investigation into his impersonation of Moody going on. I personally thought I caught a slight glimpse of a shift in Karkaroff's form just as the door closed, but it's been a while and the clip does not appear to be online. I actually love this theory mm-hmm. because it's a total plot hole otherwise. Yeah. There's never any explanation to why he did, so it just makes it seem like it was purely to make Karkaroff look suspicious. But it's not great writing to introduce a red herring like that and leave it hanging. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I don't know that I noticed any shift myself, but I really think this could have been phenomenal had they incorporated a really subtle tongue flick there, too, or something. Oh, yeah, that would have been really good. I don't know, man. I just got to say, if it makes me feel a little bit better about them throwing a random-ass scene into the movie, I kind of want to just cling to it and sleep with it under my pillow. I like it. All right. I'm going to cuddle it like my stuffed animal. Nice. Headcanon accepted. Check. (laughs) That'll bring us to this week's Potter Pondering, which is, do you think Igor Karkaroff went to Durmstrang or Hogwarts? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Don't just say Durmstrang or Hogwarts. Give us your reasoning too, please. Yeah, let's have some reasons. (laughs) We really look forward to reading them. And here we are at our Sorting Hat story, which is from Sam Mowday. She writes, my house is Hufflepuff. My wand is hawthorn wood with a dragon heartstring core, 13 inches, and quite bendy flexibility. And my Patronus is an Irish wolfhound. That's amazing. I love Irish wolfhounds. I don't like dogs, but I love Irish wolfhounds. (laughs) As for how I got roped into Harry Potter, well, I'm old and my memory is shite. Harry Potter books and movies kind of weaved in and out of my life but I had been part of another fandom, so Harry Potter was just kind of in the background here and there. I don't think I really got sucked in until 2018 when my daughter, who just turned 18, and my niece, 26, took a girl's trip from Pennsylvania to Florida to go to Orlando. Wizarding World was fucking amazing. She put all of those A's and M's in there, so I was trying to do it right. Well pronounced. I honestly felt a sense of my heart dropping when we left and had to be back in the muggle world. But every now and then, I would have Harry Potter movie binge sessions along with Fantastic Beasts and listen to the audiobooks read by Jim Dale. Do you know that he had over 130 different voices for that audio? Wow. Anyway, I suffer from depression and anxiety, 
you fit right in with us. Right. We feel you. (laughs) And last year, my brain decided having anxiety attacks wasn't enough fun. So she bumped it up several notches to full blown panic attacks. If you've ever suffered from either of these, you know, there's quite a difference. Mm hmm. During that time, I was listening to the audiobooks on repeat. And when I wasn't listening to the books, I was watching the movie. I just felt better, calmer. I'm not sure how to explain it. Maybe it was Runel Waslip and his goofy antics. Gretchen Forge making me laugh. Character developments, example, Neville becoming a total badass. And the power of friendship and love. Which I so agree with wholeheartedly. I feel this in my soul. So back to the present day, I had just finished the audiobooks for the gazillionth time and wondered where I could listen to more Harry Potter while working, and I found you ladies. I still fall asleep to the audiobooks, and although I may be late to the fandom, I don't foresee me leaving anytime soon. Aww. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story, Sam. We're so happy to have you as a keeper, and you have a Bitch is a Witch sticker coming your way soon. Woohoo! But yeah, thank you very much. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can just message it to us over social media. And that'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, what book did Professor Moody lend Neville? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag book therapy will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page like Sam did. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you an extra leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. Like Katie crying at Universal Studios when she gets to go to Harry Potter World for the first time. You know, I'm going to hate that you took that video, but I'm actually going to secretly love that you take that video when we do it. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. $2 $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks, like Just Keep Rolling swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 14, The Unforgivable Curses, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, Just, just Keep, keep Rolling. rolling.